You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. And we're live. July 2022. How are you people? Welcome to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. My name is Matt Phillips, creator of One Chat Live and your host for the last 108 episodes of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, and thank you very much, just a quick, I'll mention it once and I'll mention it again. Sometimes I feel like I'm going on too much, but do me a favor, will you just leave a nice little rating and a review. If you've watched a few shows and you like what we do, it, it's not a monetary thing. It really, it's just so that our episodes appear higher in Google. So when we have these amazing guests on which we hear, we do have, they'll just the good word will get out there much more if you can leave a review and a rating. So please do that if you're enjoying the podcast. Thank you. But you can join us live, which is what people are already doing. And they're flooding into the room now because we do go out live every Tuesday at eight o'clock um, on the YouTube, on the YouTube channel, because YouTube stays there forever. Facebook disappears. If you're marketing, Facebook's very limited. Um, but YouTube is there forever. So Emma Wardle, regional rep for the STA, is in the room. How are you doing, Emma? Thanks for coming in. And what happens is when people do leave a comment, then I can bring it up on the screen. So if you're interested in that, go to YouTube and watch the live videos. Hey, Sabrina Monaghan, how are you doing? Nikki Mansfield is in here. Yeah, and you can have a little look and you can see. Great way of networking, getting your questions to the guests. Oh, we are getting something's caused a bit of a popularity. I'm not sure if it's Maddie or Ian, but definitely a little bit of a buzz out there this evening. Fantastic. And you're all welcome as well. You don't have to be a member of the Sports Therapy Association. Um, you don't even have to be a sports massage therapist or sports therapist, any discipline. Um, it helps if you're kind of like involved in soft tissue therapy. But I know we've got personal trainers who come along. We've got GPs. We've got um, all sorts of people who come along. If looking after people in pain is your game, then hopefully there's something in our episodes to help you. So that said and done, let me bring up my... Uh, my notes to remind me what I'm going on about. So um, if you do um, want to watch the video, then like I say, you can go to YouTube. Um, if you want to listen to the podcast, then you can obviously go to your own preferred podcast app. Um, if you want links to the podcast apps, if you're not that savvy with podcasts, just go to thesta.co.uk and you'll see there, if I bring it up on main screen, if you're watching on YouTube, no, actually won't do that. Then you can see at the top of the um, thesta.co.uk, you've got links for Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Public Casts. So even if you're not very savvy with podcasts, you don't know what's going to work on your phone, click them and it'll work it out with your Android or iPhone or whatever. Um, also, just a little shout out as well to the Women in Sports Therapy uh, with our very own from the STA, Dr. Fiona Higgs um, and Deborah Thurlow Rowley. They've got four episodes out now. The last one with Dr. Claire Minchell, who's a big friend of the STA. Um, fantastic. Um, the Women in Sports Therapy kind of gives an idea of what it's all about. It's to do with anything to do with being a Women in Sports Therapy, but it's so much more than that. And I've kind of been pushing it that I, I even recommend that if you're not a woman, then you go and listen to it. Because we've had so many episodes where it's kind of if you're a bloke and you're working with women coming to clinic in pain, you need to know a little bit more than you might know because you're a bloke. Um, and, and and it's a great topic. Um, these two, um, Dr. Fiona Higgs and Deborah Thurlow, break it down wonderfully, really entertaining, been in the business for a long time. And they approach all of the subjects, not just of female pelvic health, um, but also anything about working in the industry, about discrimination, about some of the laughs, some of the tears. They share loads of stuff. And it's a real kind of eye opener 
which will help you work with your female clients. So do check it out. If you get, if you go to the sta.co.uk, you'll see that uh, just click on podcast and the WIST podcast, which stands for Women in Sports Therapy. Um, and you'll see a little link there to, oh, I'll keep pressing the wrong button tonight. There we go. To uh, follow us on Twitter. So they've got a Twitter um, media account now and also Instagram. Um, so yeah, please go and follow them. Even if it's just the 5,200 STA people who like the Facebook page, that's fine. Just 4,000 of you go over there and follow them now. That'd be great. That'll do us a favor. Right. So where are we? Um, we are in July and it's all about the foot and ankle. If you're new to the show, then what we're doing, we have done all this year is we pick a topic and we talk about that for the whole month. So word gets around, oh, they're doing like female pelvic health this month. Let's go to next Tuesday. I missed last week's, but let's go to this week's. Now we're talking about foot and ankle, um, and that's what we're going to be doing all of this month. Last week, we had the pleasure of spending an hour with Dr. Emma Cowley and Nick Knight. Um, it was a great episode. Again, because, I don't know, I just surround myself with lovely people. Maybe that's what it is. Um, such a nice way to listen and learn from two great names in the game. Um, some of the take-homes, and I appreciate all the emails that sent to me. Again, it's so nice isn't it, to hear that somebody who's been in the business for that long um, is still evolving and still going to conferences and doing cpd and turning around to the patients again you know what things have changed a little bit actually i want to try this with you and not feeling embarrassed and i'm sure that'll be a theme we talk about tonight because um things do change um which is a lovely segue into plantar fasciitis or is it so tonight um on the show i'm exciting myself now with this lead up it's getting quite dramatic um again two huge names i'm really excited to bring you maddie tate and ian griffiths anybody who's followed me for a while will be familiar with ian griffiths because i've known him far too long um he was in the first run chat live conference in person down in brighton seated in a table which is just like something out of is it blasphemy if i say it was like the last supper i don't know but you had like jesus simon bartold in the center and then spawning from the center you had ian griffiths and you had jeff Esculia and david griffin and christopher johnson and 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 it was just amazing um so i've known him for a good few years um and um anybody who follows me will know that i've definitely shared his work an awful lot when it comes to the workings of the foot particularly that word we're not allowed to say anymore apparently it doesn't exist but we might mention it later on but um and maddie i've had the pleasure of meeting and following for a while um and maddie can be coming up as well maddie i read and didn't realize actually played professionally herself in elite hockey so we're going to talk about that a little bit as well the biggest experiences to share and again very experienced sports therapist sports sports podiatrist whose works i'm in conjunction with a lot of um different um, professionals as well so that's what we're going to do tonight so sit tight grab your notebooks um people still coming in the room and um, where we I will now bring up our guests for plantar fasciitis, or is it Maddie Tate and Ian Griffiths? You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. There we go. Good evening, everybody. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm sorry that was such a long intro. It was nine minutes. I promised six, didn't I? <laughs> but um, I just felt that you, you deserved a, a bit of a build up there. Um, Ian, have I made you feel a bit old? We've known each other for quite a while, haven't we? Correct. Yeah, I think I had hair when we met. You certainly had more hair than I see on your face right now. I know you know. <laughs> see, I wasn't going to mention the hair. You know, I wasn't going to mention it um, for the people who listen to the podcast. But no, you're, you're a very handsome man with or without hair. And I've shared that information <laughs> with you. It's not a surprise. But you are just you're one of the giants. You're one of the giants, the shoulders who I have stood on. And it goes back. I should have found it. Actually, I think it was a tweet going back to probably 2003 or something where 
out of nowhere, I was talking about overpronation because I was fresh off an NASM, National Academy of Sports Medicine, and they were all very big on overpronation and this and that and tibia rotation and using that term. And, and then up pops Ian Griffiths, who obviously had his alarm set for whenever anyone on the internet says overpronation, <laughs> and just appeared going, oh, Matt, have you considered this, blah, blah, blah? And I was like, who is this man with loads of hair, very handsome man with lots of hair, challenging me on social media, which was quite unheard of back then. And then, and then, you know what, after backwards and forwards, as always happens with people like yourself, it was like, we're actually saying the same thing. We're on the same side of the coin. And that was, that just paved the way for me and made me very mellow when I came across other people challenging me. So thanks for that. That was about pleasure. Yeah. Years ago. Jesus. Yeah, it was, it was a phase I was going through, but I don't tend to go on Twitter as much anymore. I've got... I'm older, I've got children now, I've got less time. And, and also it's just become a bit more toxic. I think back in those days, I think I'm on reasonable ground when I say, you know, yourself amongst them. I met so many who I now consider colleagues slash friends uh, who I've now known 10 years plus. And we, we all met on there disagreeing in a healthy and respectful way. And and I guess present day, I look on Twitter now and then, and there's still disagreements, but the, the healthy respect um, seems a bit, uh, in, in a bit shorter supply so I've, I've backed away from it a bit now and I I let that I let that term go more now than I did I've chilled in my old age I guess is what I'm saying I, I can't work out whether social media's got worse or just we're getting older and grumpier and, and kind of looking at all these kids why they're showing each other I don't know I can never work it out a bit of column a and a bit of column b there I could think. be we need to ask somebody who's younger good segue Maddie how you doing <laughs> thanks for coming along hi <laughs> how um how do you find social media is it something you tend to stay with? I, I love and hate it. I am not committed to it enough to um, be on it regularly. Um, again, I guess busy lifestyles and just takes time to prepare and add content. But it, it, I can see, I can see the value in it. Um, it's just for me, it's just time, timing. I think, I think life has changed. I think we're just busy and more stressed these days back in early 2000s it was just a bit more chilled out we had more time you know yeah. we could get a coffee for under a pound 50 nowadays it's like break the bank just to have a frappuccino or something it's crazy so but anyway so thanks for joining us actually maddie if we could start for people who um haven't heard of you yet especially people who are listening to the podcast could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up being in the position you are yeah um so i'm maddie um i I'm a musculoskeletal sports podiatrist in London and Surrey. Um, so I have a couple of clinics over over the city and um, and yeah, southwest London and Surrey. Um, and I guess I came into the profession knowing from an early um, early age that I wanted to definitely go into the musculoskeletal sports sports side. Um, I played um, hockey, uh, field hockey. I represented England and. Um, had my whole heap of an ankle injuries, um, so therefore was exposed to seeing a musculoskeletal podiatrist in the kind of England hockey setup. Um, and then from there sparked my interest in in the feet and the biomechanics of the lower limb. Um, so I suppose I didn't really come into it in in the typical interest, which I guess from most of our profession is maybe more wound related, high risk foot care. Um, uh, I definitely came into it with my musculoskeletal sports head interest um so specialized in that from kind of as soon as i finished working um and yeah so here so i had a sports science undergraduate degree um and then did a master's in production fantastic so coming from hockey 
Um, yeah. I think it's fascinating. Someone who's worked with runners pretty much all in my career, now and again, hockey players have come in. And it's great because with a runner, it's like you say, so I know you can look at someone's running, but it's not going to vary that much unless you're looking at really different biomechanics. But whenever I've got a hockey player again, well, can you show me what movement caused this or what you're doing? And they get down in these positions and these kind of clever twists. And mm. and it's like, wow, I can't even start to imagine, yeah. um, you know, what's going on there. So And then really... add a, a stick or a hard ball exactly. into the mix, which adds trauma and uh, all sorts. So, yeah, I, I therefore yeah. had my very, very fair share of injuries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just going to put up, for people listening to podcasts, I'm going to put on the screen now. Um screenshot of maddie's website so it's mt as in mt mtpodiatry.co.uk and also on there just um as well just go to the next picture um you've got at least i think it's four or five episodes now where you have got guests and one of those is plantar fasciitis so if you don't fancy the show then just head over to mtpodiatry.co.uk <laughs> slash podcasts and there's a whole um um, selection of podcasts there with maddie is that something that you've wanted to do for a while sharing the information um, I actually got invited on to be a guest for um, uh, with a sports medicine doctor in London um, and we just chatted through all sorts of topics about feet, um, shoes, running shoes, class fasciitis, you know, yeah, so we just kind of split it up into some podcasts that way. But I am, I am interested and it's definitely something I want to um, get into more. Fantastic. It's good to see. Right. Um, Ian, we, everyone knows you down there. Let's face it. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> if you don't people and you're interested in the foot, then your first stop should really be Ian Griffiths. Um, I'll put just in case you've been living under a stone or just following some very strange people who haven't told you about Ian, then I'll put up a screenshot. Um, if you go to start off by going to sportspodiatryinfo.co.uk, also um, on Twitter, on Facebook, although Ian's not quite so much in an admirable way on social media so much because I myself have pulled away as well. It's just it's just toxic. And when you've got kids, you've got other things to concentrate on. But there's still an awful lot of information out there um, on various feeds, as well as, of course, um, Podchat Live whose name I just ripped off basically about two weeks after it started and thought pod chat live. I'm going to do one chat live. There's a story there. <laughs> um, <laughs> they stopped at 99 episodes. We're on a hundred and no, actually I stopped on 53 for one chat live. So yeah, but um, yeah, so that's worth checking out as well. 99 episodes of really excellent information. If you're interested in the foot, some of them obviously get pretty technical. Don't be scared by that. It's kind of a lot of podiatrists there, but there's an awful lot of information you can get, whether you're a massage therapist or sports therapist, sports massage therapist um, to check out. So, so Ian, do you, do you feel old? I mean, I joke about it, but you've been in the game for a long time and you are one of the names that people quote. I remember when Ian Griffiths wrote this, and, and there's articles which are probably written in the early 2000s. Do you feel old? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I do. I wish I didn't. Um, every every day, my body just reminds me how old I am. Um, my wife says to me, because I'm still trying to put some reasonable running mileage into my body on a, on a weekly basis and uh, still deluded that I can run PBs in my mid-40s when, when everything scientific and any, anyone with an understanding of biology and physiology knows your, your PBs may well be behind you by the time you get to my age but yeah I'm still deluding myself but every day my, my wife says to me you're always you're always injured and I and I say to her no no I'm always in pain I'm not I'm not injured I'm just always in pain and I think that's a really important um distinction that I've convinced myself um is, is why I can keep training but yeah I feel I feel every bit as old as I am and the crazy thing is when we've got obviously I do I do a bit of teaching now so we get the opportunity to see 
the next generation. Um, and obviously Maddie's the next generation for me and we've, we've known each other for some time. We've met up for coffee and things, but there's, you know, there's another generation coming. There's always another generation coming. And I think it's amazing to see just how young and fresh faced and enthusiastic they are and what, what, what ideas they have. Um, and I remember sort of being that, that sort of probably over enthusiastic 20 year old who thought I, you know, I had, a, I had some great ideas and I'd speak to people older than me, more experienced than me. And they'd be like, you know, that's been done before, right? You know, almost everything's been done before. Whatever idea you've had, whatever discussion you're having, someone's probably had it somewhere before. Um, and now I find myself on the other side hearing these, these discussions going on. So yeah, it's been a fascinating time, but yeah, I'm old and I feel it, but that's okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's um, but then I mean, once I had the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Ben O'Nig, who kind of like go back from Ian Griffiths twenty years to nineteen eighty six, was saying this word over pronation or this kind of like this idea right. that you know, and it's like, and he's still banging his head against walls talking about things. It's crazy, isn't it? It really is. History just repeats itself. And well, you so know, when I, you get to our age, you start realizing. I thought I was being smart in. 03 when i wrote a paper on you know the that the idea the concept that, that and i know you probably spoke about this with nick and with emma if you, you know with regards to that, the the sort of the wide and completely normal expectation of anatomical variations so rather there being one normal and then any deviation from that is abnormal you know i thought when i was talking about this in in 03 i was i was being smart and and sh at the pointy end of business and i found a paper where someone uh in america said exactly the same thing and they published it in 1909 oh wow so, you know, there, there, there is uh, nothing new under the sun as they say that's crazy 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 right we've got to still stop talking about old days and reminiscing because we've got a <laughs> story to talk about here plantar fasciitis so that's what we're talking about tonight my first question to maddie are you happy using the word as a younger therapist and we're not gonna it sounds really patronizing we won't mention age anymore but as a younger therapist yep. are you happy using the word plantar fasciitis or do you feel that therapists would benefit from looking at that name again hmm, as some people do yeah i think i think we can move on from the um plantar fasciitis um having a bit more of a global term um plantar heel pain plantar fasciopathy which can cut like build on a number of different um pathologies or presentations of plantar heel pain um, is probably a bit more of a modern way of looking at it. Um, and we talked I, about this last week. What's up with the fasciitis then? What are some of the, because I can guarantee, and I'm not judging anybody who's listening to the podcast, but if there's a couple of thousand downloads, I can guarantee a thousand people are going, whoa, 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 whoa what's wrong with plantar fasciitis? So what's the problem? So I mean the itis end of it, itis meaning um, inflammation. Um, and typically we don't necessarily see inflammation in the plantar fascia with a uh, plantar fasciopathy um coupled with that it there's often it's often not might not even be the plantar fascia that's involved um and i think when we as all sorts of therapists see a patient with a plantar fascia type injury or plantar heel pain um keeping the um diagnosis um quite broad to begin with and management of it quite broad to begin with isn't a, isn't a bad thing just to start off um as, as we first see our patients coming in the door okay so this is really interesting i want to dwell on this a second because like we were talking off air if if a lot of particularly sports massage therapists i'm sure sports therapists have done university and postgraduates they've 
gone past this point, but in in the sports massage therapists, once you say it might not be inflammation, that then start, opens the door to, or maybe I shouldn't be taking ibuprofen. Maybe I'm not going to solve this problem with just icing. Maybe there's something else I need. So that's quite a useful door to open, I imagine, isn't it? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, at, at some point, you, you know, we need to get a diagnosis and the likes of imaging um, will be appropriate for some patients um, at the right time and uh, or onward referral um, to get to the bottom of it. But there's often, there's not usually, our patients don't present with a red inflamed heel, um, you know, like you would if you bruised your leg and you needed to ice it and take ibuprofen. You know, that's more of a visible vis- a, a visible sign of inflammation, but we don't see that at the heel. Um, and even when we look at it at the plantar fascia on, on imaging, it, you know, it typically doesn't present itself often as inflamed or thickened. Um, so I think just you just thinking about the way we use the terminology um, is probably like we've said about overpronation, uh, similar with plantar fasciitis or plantar heel pain. Um, it might be a bit more of a, a modern way of looking at it globally. Excellent. We talked last week, I think it was like terms like overpronation, I think, and a couple of other things we said how some therapists just put the defences up. It's like, oh, stop telling me to change my language if i want to say it's a not it's a not if i want to say it's this or that but it can have an implication i think it's nice if you can reach that point where you do go well, why should i be using this word you know because it does open doors what do you think ian mm-hmm. are we going over the top or is it useful to change the term yeah i i agree with with what maddie said i mean uh, ultimately in you, you could take one view that whatever you call it, as long as you all know what you're talking about from a communication point of view, does it matter? But the, the, the crux of the matter is if if a term itself bleeds into beliefs um, and those beliefs are longstanding and, and we now know them to be unhelpful um, in some way, then I think it's very reasonable to to revisit the terminology. I think the, the itis osis thing is, you know, People are probably familiar with the way that's, that we've gone around the houses with that, with 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 other tendon. Not well, not that the plantar fascia is a tendon, but we've done it with the Achilles tendon, for example. With going back in, you know, some papers you go back twenty years, we'll call it tendonitis, and then it suddenly changed to tendinopathy, tendinosis. So, you know, it's a similar name change. I'm no biochemist by any means, um, but yeah, certainly the paper that I know, you know, Maddie and I are aware of in the podiatry world that, that changed our thinking was by Harvey Lamont in 2003. And he was the first one to say, you know, think of this as, as, a, as a fasciosis rather than a fasciitis. And like you say, um, the challenge we have, of course, is if we say to people, well, look, if it's not inflammation, you don't need to worry about anti-inflammatories. But on the flip side, we do have people come in and report when, when they do anti-inflammatory things, it helps. Mm-hmm. So that, that doesn't necessarily um, marry particularly uh particularly well but yeah ultimately um i think you know you know me i I think we do as best as we can until we know better and if we do know better then we then there's not really any excuse for hanging on to things just because we've always done them there's not you know i've never been a subscriber to that being the way that we progress as as professionals whatever our profession so um the way i'd often explain to a patient would be if you think about inflammation as being quite an, an acute um an, an acute process in the body so you know if you if you sprain your ankle it's swollen and red and hot and angry and maddie's already said we don't see any of that stuff with plantar heel pain plantar fascia irritability 
Um, but even with a sprained ankle, we don't see that for six months. You know, that that acu- mm-hmm. that inflammatory process is very, very acute. And then you get the more chronic problems that that, that it evolves into. Um, like I say, most plants, most people that come with plantar heel pain, not only is there no visible cardinal signs of inflammation, but if they come in saying, I've had this for six months, eight months, 12 months, and everyone listening will say, yeah, these are the timelines that people are presenting to us with. You know, what what sort of, you know, what sort of thought process are we thinking of where we say, this is inflamed, take some ibuprofen. It doesn't seem to, just doesn't seem to marry particularly well. Excellent. Yeah, great. You're both kind of using plantar heel pain um, a lot in your dialogue. So is that kind of a, a term which you're kind of happier using? You think it's better with a patient and allows you to look at it with a bit more open eyes? Um, well, Maddie, I'll, I'll jump in, uh, Maddie, yeah. if that's okay. You already mentioned this, didn't you? That, that, that it was it was Henrik Real and team's uh, paper that they published in the BJSM that first, it was only fairly recently, in the, a couple of years ago, in the big scheme of things, where they said perhaps plantar heel pain is a, is a better term. So, I mean, it, it's funny because I know for years we've always said we don't like the term metatarsalgia because that means that all that tells us is pain in the forefoot. It doesn't give us a diagnosis. And now we're saying we prefer plantar heel pain. All that really tells is pain on the planter, i.e. underside of the heel. So it feels that we're contradicting ourselves. But like Maddie says, and hopefully what the, the theme that will emerge tonight is that not all heel pain is plantar fascia in origin. And I think we all know that nine times out of 10, if someone goes to a GP or whoever and they say, my heel hurts, it's, it's more often than not, they will leave with the diagnosis of plantar fasciitis or plantar fasciosis. And perhaps until we know for sure, like Maddie said, that, that that's what we're dealing with. Plantar heel pain is a better term in those early stages. Um, so I must admit, I, you, throughout the talk, I will completely randomly and with no reason whatsoever be, be, be flitting between plantar fasciopathy, plantar fascia irritation, plantar heel pain. I'm, I basically mean the same thing, really. Yeah. And often it's us who, who decides the patient doesn't come normally going, I think I've got a case of plantar heel pain, although I prefer for, to refer to it as plantar. <laughs> We're the ones who feel the yeah. need to give it a name, aren't we, and label it. And the patient just wants to get better. Correct. Um, yeah. kind of, I think it's massage therapists in particular and sports therapists who actually legally aren't allowed to diagnose because we're not allied health professionals you're not allowed to write diagnosis down the bit of paper you're not allowed to say to the patient my diagnosis is no 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 not an allied health professional um you, you your insurance won't hold up if you've written that down anyway so we we're even more tempted to actually come up with a nice long latin word you know like i know iliotibial band is a great long word we'll use that somewhere or stick a syndrome on the end but so let's imagine then a patient comes to us with the symptoms which formerly uh, we would have said, oh, you got plantar fasciitis. So I suppose we're talking about really painful first thing in the morning, like walking on glass, these kind of metaphors and things that they come up with. Traditionally, we would have said, all oh, right, yeah, it's plantar fasciitis, ibuprofen, um, some stretching that always seems to be popular as well, with, especially with massage therapists, stretch everything. What are some of the other things we should be doing further tests on which would help us actually home in on one whether we need to refer out or two whether we should be approaching it from a different point of view yeah Yeah. um so i think i think it comes down to the first well in terms of me clinically and still probably similar for you ian but like it's all about that early communication it's very much about that history taking and getting to the real understanding about when symptoms when the onset of the symptoms were how they manifested early how how it started early doors maybe how it changed because i think we we see pain and the the way pain um 
stays in the heel or it might move um, or it might be at certain times of the day or after certain amounts of exercise. Getting to understand the pattern of pain, I find is really important. And what what maybe was around that origin, so uh, or the onset, sorry, what 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 changed? Was there an increase in running, in walking, in going back into the office after COVID and wearing a business shoe? What what changed? And and often I think with this sort of a plantar heel pain, plantar fasciopathy style, whatever we're calling it, um, there's often there's there's something that happened, there's something that would have triggered all of a sudden every morning from now on I'm now waking up with heel pain um, and I think I think for me that first 15 minutes of talking to my patient and getting to the bottom of that is the most important um, to to formulate where I then further my tests um, whether that's an athlete a runner uh, you know an everyday community member um, everyone's got a change in in their pattern and it could it could be volume and load related in terms of the sport but it could all just also be walking around barefoot because we were locked down for a number of years and changed our footwear pattern or got a dog and we started walking the dog more than normal i just i think getting to understand that pattern it really helps with the early early kind of early thought process if that makes sense obviously not a diagnosis yet we haven't got onto any clinical tests but definitely that thought process um yeah yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, as I already said, a lot of people that that go to a a health professional of any kind and say their heel hurts, they're going to be given the label of oh, that's the plantar fascia. And let's be honest, if that if that happened to a hundred people, it, that would probably be right more than it was wrong because we know it's the most common condition that affects the foot. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I think. Maddie said that's so important about that, you know, taking good, you know, asking right questions and taking good history is for me. And, and hopefully what we'll come on to talk about more this evening is I love the idea of people saying, OK, well, we know that it's the most common foot problem. We know it gets labeled a lot. We know that, you know, even if we indiscriminately told everyone with heel pain that we saw they had plantar fasciitis, we'd be right more than we're wrong. But what about those ones where we're wrong? They, they're the ones that worry me. They're the ones that I think are there things that we're missing that we shouldn't be missing. Um, so plantar fascia pain or irritability is, is usually so typical in its presentation. Like Maddie said, you, you, you sit down and you, you speak to someone for 10 minutes and, and they tell you the story. And, and generally speaking, it's been sort of, they describe it as not having a cause. And what I mean by that is if when someone sprains their ankle, they normally say, they'll give you a date and tell you what pub they were coming out of or whatever it may be. Whereas this, they, they say it didn't really have a cause. It was insidious. But then, like Maddie said, when you dig a bit deeper, maybe it was interlinked with a, with some kind of change in training volume or frequency or intensity. But it's still non-traumatic. So I think that's the that's that's the key thing. If someone comes in and they complain of pain on the plantar aspect of their heel and there's no history of trauma and they point to that medial calcaneal tubercle, so that underside inside aspect of the heel. And you say to them, how does it feel first thing in the morning? And they say, God, that's when it's worse. I feel like an old man or an old lady. But after a few minutes, it eases off. That's such a typical story that I don't think it's unreasonable that you can then function under the provisional assumption this may well be plantar fascia origin pain. Um, and I think if early on, if, if, if people could appreciate that, if that if that doesn't feel quite right, if none of that that story, if there's parts of that story that don't fit, Perhaps you say, okay, well, it is worse first thing in the morning, but they describe a traumatic onset. Well, that's that 
already you're, you you should be you should have some alarm bells going off. So any history of trauma, which is a very simple thing to tease out of a, of a discussion, uh, any pain patterns that, that just don't seem to fit that really, really typical plantar fascia pain pattern, immediately they should be flags or bells or, you know, you, your, your, your spidey sense should tingle and you should say, this may be worthy of a few more deeper questions, a few more deeper clinical tests. We can come onto what those are and what they look like, of course, because we might not be dealing with what we think we're dealing with. And there are, there are probably more sinister things that it's important to exclude right now. Excellent. Uh, really interesting. Yes, the subjective subjective. We've covered that so many times on the show. Mm. I think sometimes we just, especially that's the problem. People, especially people who are fresh off CPD courses and they're just so eager to get their hands on and start doing clinical tests and objective. And they just, as soon as they hear one thing, they're like, I know what this is again. This is going to be my fascia. It's going to be about, so people don't pause to ask the questions, do they? Just you know, let the answers come out. Brilliant. Let's move on though to clinical tests then. So imagine we've had this great conversation. We've listened to the patient. We've listened to them more. What sort of tests do you think people might be missing out? Well, first of all, I've just got to say, sorry, Emma Wardle, graduate sports therapist can diagnose, Matt, that's very true. Okay, sorry. I was um, shoehorning you all into the same cauldron of not allowed mm -hmm. to diagnose. I do apologise, Emma Wardle. Um, sorry. Anyway, but um, yeah, so let's move on to clinical tests. What are some things which people might not be doing which could help when we're, when we're suspecting something else is amiss here? I'll jump in with one if yeah. it's okay, Maddie. Um, yeah, yeah. The, one I'll, the one I'll do, and again, I'll, I'll do it in almost everyone just because it takes about three seconds. So there's not really a good reason not to do it. But I would definitely, it would be the first thing I reach to if someone reported some kind of uh, traumatic onset. But also in the other other parts of the history, if they reported pain patterns, like we said, that that weren't typical, in particular night pain. So, you know, there's the other flag. You know, if, if people are writing notes, these are the things that, that, that really should should get you thinking i think if there was a traumatic onset or if someone reported night pain a clinical test i would do almost immediately is what we would refer to as the calcaneal squeeze test which is ultimately exactly what it sounds like you tend to i tend to interlock my fingers like this um i i don't even know how to i don't it's an it's a podcast so the video is not going to work interlock your fingers um so that the 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 fleshy parts of your of your palms are sort of either either side of the calcaneum the medial and lateral borders um and then just squeeze and and be really really quite firm now again we know that the, the calcaneus is the biggest and densest bone of the foot um it, it should be something that that you should be able to put a, a fairly strong squeeze on and someone should just say yeah i just feel like you're squeezing me um anything other than that you should be thinking oh is there suspicion of bone injury here? If someone came in and said there was a traumatic onset, and I've had this before, when I've done a calcaneal squeeze test, they've they've physically withdrawn their foot from me. Sometimes they almost kick you in the face. Sometimes they 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 shout a few swear words at you. You're like, okay, this consultation's over because I, you know, like there's nothing else really we need to do here other than exclude the possibility of some kind of calcaneal stress fracture, or stress stress injury. Um, so I think night pain, traumatic onset calcaneal positive calcaneal squeeze test you stop thinking plantar fascia you start thinking calcaneal bone stress injury brilliant and that's typically one of those tests which sadly on a lot of syllabus or syllabi they're kind of like there's 25 of these tests and the more experience you get the more likely you are not to bother thinking because you're not going to see them that often depending on what population you work with but like you say they've got to be done it takes three seconds and it was mm -hmm. one of probably the other 19 tests you learned you don't need to do anymore but yeah of all of them because if it, if it is positive, like you say, then that what would be the um, 
how would you follow up then? Is that then referring them off to somebody who can? Well, I guess it depends. Or something, or? Yeah, well, I guess it depends on your setup and where you work and your your support. You know, whether you've got an interdisciplinary team around you. But ultimately, I think the point here is, if you have a raised index of suspicion for bone stress, mm. you don't treat it like a like you would plant a fascia pain. So your plans for whatever your plans were, and they may have been soft tissue work on the calves, they may have been um, acupuncture, that, you know, whatever they may have been, which may well have been. Uh, valid for a plantar fascia pain with the, the raised index of suspicion of bone stress you've got to park all of that um if you've got the opportunity to get them in a boot an air cast boot if you're in a clinic which i said that's you go straight there until pre- and then you send off for kind of imaging probably mri ideally to confirm the diagnosis and like i say good management is dictated by knowing what you're managing fantastic and obviously, I suppose it's going to affect when they say, can I still go running? Am I allowed to still do skipping my backyard? It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, it helps you, it helps you, set, uh, it helps you set expectation of, mm. of timelines, prognosis, but also it, it often, you know, we're all, we're runners. Like I said, I, I, I'm in pain every day. Uh, I've run with heel pain before. Like if something hurts, it doesn't stop us running until it stops us running, if that makes sense. Until you tell someone they've got a fracture. And actually, all of a sudden, even runners, even triathletes, you know, the crazy wired way that we are, you know, that diagnosis. And at that point, it is a formal diagnosis. Uh, not only does it help you set expectation and, and, you know, management and timelines, but actually, all of a sudden, you watch how well they'll comply to dialing back on the load. It will be immediate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maddie, you're going to say? I think, um, I think, um, just based on what you're saying about kind of getting getting that next onward referral, I think having as massage therapists or, or sports therapists needing to go down that kind of next intervention or get get some more imaging. Having, I think Ian and I are lucky we have colleagues that we work with closely in the same building and we can call on when we need to. But I think that does have a massive element of um, comfort when regards to kind of managing our patients and you can get a good doctor sports doctor that you can have on hand when these things do creep up that you're not sure of and you might want to discuss or a good local podiatrist or physio that you can bounce something off um i really think that it can help i think especially early early doors in in the profession and um i just certainly have called on um expert colleagues in the past when i'm not 100 percent sure on something you get that feeling like Ian said you get that kind of red flag something's not quite right but I'm not sure but the patient's lying here how do I manage this what do I do do I tell them to leave but what do I send them you know what I mean it's just I think having that communication with maybe another colleague might be helpful and you you know the patient's going to prefer you to be honest and say I'm not 100% sure here I'd prefer to send you out the door I'm going to kind of try and communicate with someone that I think might be able to manage this better or more appropriately I'll get back to you I think there's no harm in doing that and totally agree. expectations there. Totally agree. I think it's important not to be worried about being wrong as well, just yeah. to add on what Maddie said there, because I think people are worried, oh, if, what if I refer on uh, and they think I'm silly because it isn't a stress factor? Well, here's the thing. If you've got night pain, traumatic onset, positive calcaneal squeeze, any 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 one of those, by the way, would be enough for me to, to have my flags. I don't need all three. Any one of those, I'm, I'm thinking this may be worth further investigation. If you're going to be wrong, you would much rather send them on to someone and then say, this isn't bone stress. That's a better wrong 
then holding on to them and massaging their calf for the next four weeks under the illusion it's a plantar fascia and it turning out to be a bone stress. Like we're all wrong at times. I've seen, I've sent on things that I would thought this is a, this is a barn door stress fracture. And I've, I sent it and I said to the patient, you know, this is, has all the hallmarks of a stress fracture. We have to know for sure. It completely dictates what the next six to eight weeks look like for me and for you. We sent them on and it wasn't. And the patient, the, the referrer didn't, well, they didn't tell me I, that they thought I was silly. The patient wasn't upset with me. There's no one's time has been wasted because you've, you've still got more information than you had before. Mm. Um, so I think it's really important if you're, you know, we're never certain clinically uh, about anything, but you have raised a raised index of suspicion and don't be, you know, don't be afraid to be wrong about it for sure. But you, it's just important that we don't miss these things. That's important. Or, or if, even if there aren't, you know, I would always say, even if there aren't some of these flags and you're treating it as a plantar fascia and it's just not responding in the same way that they normally do, or you just think, oh, this just doesn't seem to be responding to treatment. Like at some point you need to be, re, you know, re-evaluating, re, re do I just keep doing what I'm doing or do I need to revisit another avenue of, of possibility here? Excellent. Great message. Um and we mentioned a few times, a lot of our listeners probably are working in the clinic by themselves. It's lovely. If you, I grew up in a multidisciplinary clinic, so it was amazing, especially when I was junior. And I would shove everybody to a, a physio or the osteopath or the podiatrist if I was unsure. But then eventually you start realizing they send them back to saying, Matt, you're doing fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just yeah. I would do exactly what you're doing. But like you say, when it there's nothing wrong with it. No one's embarrassed. The patients are happy. But when you're working by yourself, you've got to have a bit more confidence, haven't you? Because there's this fear that they're not going to come back to you. This is where you can be multidisciplinary, even if you're separated physically. You're yeah. just at the end of a phone and, yeah. and you know. And I think there's no harm in reaching out to a local colleague that you know that works down the road that you maybe pop in one day and just hand a business card over and just say, look, if, if I get a patient that I think might be foot related, I think I'd be really grateful if you could see or likewise vice versa I think I've got I'm a podiatrist and I've got patients that actually are really tight proximally they could work on some sort of stretching and, and hands-on work and strengthening likewise I'd send to you so it's, it's kind of a two-way thing and I think people are really responsive to that it's just go and contact people I don't think there's a, any harm in that very cool and they may well pay people people you refer or may well send more work your way because they know that? that you're going to spot stuff and look out for stuff like you were saying yeah. in in your practice in canary wharf here still in pure sports mm. yeah yep, yep. you've got a massage therapist there who's just like a one brilliant recognizing stuff you feel really confident and she will put people your way if she starts seeing alarm bells going off good yeah, therapist absolutely. good therapist it's exciting so, okay, yeah, so go on sorry. no no i was just saying i think um I think for me, when you're thinking about sort of, you know, the title of this, this, this uh, episode being, you know, not all heal, what, what, I can't remember what you called it, it was something snappy, but not all heal pain is plantar fascia pain or whatever, something cooler than that, I know. Um, for me, you know, we should probably say, you know, in the limited time we have, there's, there's the list of differentials, you know, for, mm -hmm. for pain is, is, is massive. So, you know, we've picked on calcaneal stress there because I'm not saying it's the most common differential, but I, I certainly think of the probably the, the two or three differentials that we may have time to cover at most. I'm not saying we're going to pick the most common ones, but I think we should probably spend time focusing on the ones that are important to exclude or not miss, if that makes sense. So yeah, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're going we're gonna to be seeing a lot of calcaneal stress. Mm. Uh, we, we see some, but I'm not saying in your clinic tomorrow, if, if four people came in with plantar heel pain, that you'd see, you'd expect any of them to be calcaneal stress, but you'd also want, it's the one that, even though you don't see lots of it, you, you mm. want to make sure you're excluding it. 
Fantastic. Mm. Okay, well, with that in mind, let's move on to number two on the hit list of other possibilities. What else would you be doing? Um, what do you think, Maddie? I was thinking um, mural. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Stunning from somewhere else that's presenting itself as a, a heel-like pain, you know, the whole back-related and how that creates a ridiculopathy down the leg. Um, I guess linking linking into the kind of neural aspect, doing some neural testing. Going back to subjective then, what sort of things might have started you thinking along those lines? Um, history of back injuries. I've had a disc problem since I was, you know, how, however old, um, like a bit of trauma, a fall, a trip, um, yeah. that definitely was back or, or glute related, mm-hmm. gluteal tendinopathies that's kind of creating a bit of a sciatica effect, yeah. a bit of numbness, a bit of um, pins and needles, any sort of sensation type um, words that are coming out I, I think I would be thinking kind of neural yeah I agree I think it comes back to what we said earlier in that plantar fascia on paper is so typical um you know this is why people when they've googled it they say I think I've got plantar fascia because they've googled it and they list they're reading a list that just sounds like them so as soon as something doesn't sound like that and nerve pain you know whether it's a lumbar radiculopathy like Maddie said or, or even a more local like tarsal tunnel syndrome but nerve pain anyone that's experienced nerve pain will know it's weird and it's definitely you know we often if you say to someone you know with a with a, a, a tendon problem or a muscular problem you know when's it good and when's it bad they can normally give you they can normally chart out a 24-hour pattern um, and tell you what provokes it activity wise but nerve pain it's a bit unpredictable a bit erratic a bit inconsistent like maddie said they report numbness tingling paresthesia you know ridiculous leg pains um pain that sounds weird shooting sharp etc i think you're always kind of thinking okay should i should i be considering neuro and again just like i would calcaneal squeeze test everyone i would also ask every single person that came in with heel pain if they have any history of lumbar lumbar spine issues um, or radicular leg pain. Um, and I'd probably um, do a neural provocation test, either the slump test or the straight leg raise. I would do that on every single person that came with heel pain. And they're super, I'm sure uh, most people listening probably know these tests already, but maybe they don't do them for everyone that comes in with heel pain. Again, it takes another 15, 20 seconds just to really confirm that you've excluded calcaneal stress. Now you're excluding, you know, neural or ridiculous you know ridiculous leg pain i'm interested people are listening um on youtube um just drop something in the comments you're going a bit quiet in there you got your notepads out again in your bios but yeah let me know are you habitually doing slum tests if somebody's coming in with heel pain and there's a history there or has that kind of disappeared now and you're flashing over it i'm interested to know write something in the i comments. think um i think asking about lower back pain is a question that i ask in every single consultation, I don't know about you, Ian, but yeah. I might be presenting a very foot-related injury, um, a, a big toe joint pain, sesamoiditis, a forefoot injury, whatever. At every single patient I will ask about history of, of back problems. I just think we see such a correlation between lower back neural presentations, um, the even kind of musculature tendon injuries, and that can change how people are functioning and moving and walking and are we seeing a gait, gait compensation effect? Is this all one-sided? I, th- I just think that communication is so key. And 
it takes a game 30 seconds most of the time it's no no back pain but when it when it is a constant back pain and it has been there for a long time and it isn't getting better and it doesn't respond to x y and z i think that's when alarm bells can start thinking but it's just a quick a quick easy question about lower back previous injuries or current injuries fantastic great stuff moving on next i'm putting you on the spot here just going to rattle off what else you think it could be i think I think as well, like um, just the location of where we're talking about in terms of the plantar fascia and plantar okay. fascia pe- pain, and or I guess we want to be ruling out any sort of tear um, in the fascia itself. Um, patients aren't going to want to respond to much hands-on work if we've got a fascia tear. Um, mm-hmm. I think that comes, again, it can be quite uh, a local specific pain. And if often with a more fascia-related pain it's not necessarily a tear it's it's quite local to that medial insertion on the calcaneus but um it can kind of change around the foot and i often find people will say their pain moves around a lot but if there's a tear it's usually a very local pinpoint area of pain um and when we do kind of dorsiflex the ankle and the toe so that the band of fascia is really at its Kind of tightest that's when people will usually find it very uncomfortable but also really pinpoint areas of of discomfort so that's that's usually quite an area of just uh, a, a test i might do yeah and coming just to add on totally agree but just to add on in all the tears i've seen over the years you normally have a suspicion but it comes back to the history taken yeah, right history. Now, but, you know plantar fascia tears are very rarely insidious there's there's normally a story Oh, he just left oh. us momentarily. That's okay. It's been an internet search. <laughs> or Grimm's got in there. You're going to have to continue. Uh, I going to stay in his voice. Think that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> um, I think. I think what he's saying is history. And if um, if there's been an incident where you know I was out on a run and then all of a sudden I got this sharp shooting pain in my mm-hmm. arch of my foot, then um, that's not a typical plantar fascia or plantar heel pain related injury that might just be plantar fascia in origin i think just ruling out a tear um i think it's much more acute oh hello sorry <laughs> i don't know what happened there could have been you or me i don't know but ian's back in case you <laughs> i just carried on saying that i think i think you were saying that it's it's history and often quite an acute specific you got movement it. pattern yeah. or injury that might have caused it yeah, the history will will raise your suspicion again. So it all come, oh, generally comes back to that, doesn't it? But yeah, yeah. Sorry for I don't know what happened there, but yeah, I was, mm-hmm. I was saying you know, all of the ones I've seen, there's always been a story attached to it. You know, someone the last one I saw just recently because it's fresh in my mind is someone who's a competitive in taekwondo, and they felt they felt they felt something as they on the standing foot as they kicked as they twisted, they felt something go. They usually use terminology like they felt popping or going, so that would raise your suspicions of, of you know local tenderness, like like Maddie said, but also that. That, that more traumatic uh, story rather than a more insidious onset. Yeah. I think one other that's fresh in my mind, because I've just done a, a presentation on it last week, is um, plantar fibromas um, and how they manifest in the foot, um, which are hard lumps that often are in the plantar fascia, often the medial band of the plantar fascia. Um, and they, they present as, as hard, firm lumps, literally there, and they're very tender to touch. And um, 
and if you see one you'll you'll notice it and you'll see it again but i think again that might be something that we need to get uh looked at for in terms of either further imaging or management um and then they're not often actually managed too well with any kind of hands-on hands-on work because they're they're usually benign lumps that can grow and change in shape and size um and often the management is sort of offloading of the the lump itself um and and management of that so i think that would be if you haven't seen one i think maybe just go and have a look at what they look like and how they how they present um clinically um but yeah plantar fibromas or do you see, do you see much of them ian generally and uh, again not lots but when, you know, when you when you see them when you know when when you see them you see them and patients often mm. come in because lump, lumps tend to worry people mm. um and like i say we, we would always ultrasound scan them and um we had a few that have responded quite well to steroid injections and we got a few that surgeons wanted to get hold of and then you get nervous about surgery around the medial band of the plantar fascia but again it is something that if if you know um if you're working on someone's feet as a massage therapist and you feel like lumps and bumps down that medial band of the plantar fascia um just be mindful that you know uh, it, it it could well be a fibroma and they can't they're not always painful and if they're not just leave them be but yeah. it is a quite sensitive tissue and when they when they get irritable they they they're quite difficult to offload mm. It is really frustrating, and I'm sure you guys have had this both being active on your feet a lot, but when you have got heel pain and then you do press in and you find that kind of thing that's different and you think, was that there before? Mm. And I've seen, I went to Nick, actually, Nick Knight myself as well because I was suffering from something, and I didn't pay much attention to the fact that I'd taken up two months of running with a weighted vest and 12 kilos on me that maybe that was a factor. <laughs> Forget that. It was like, I was, yeah, but feel this. Can't you feel this? What is it? Is it a heel spur? What's going on there? I can feel it, and it wasn't there before, and and it's it's so tricky isn't it for patients when they do start self-analyzing and they find something they think that's it and they'll start prodding it and poking it and how would something like you just mentioned now differentiate on palpation from a heel spur or something that was just anatomical variety or something which you don't have to worry about how would it present itself that made you start thinking that it could be that what a fibroma compared yeah. to a heel spur i think the yeah. fibroma is typically a little bit further um away from the calcaneus so they're actually more in the the medial band of the plantar fascia they they're not hard bony lumps they're yeah. fibrousy squidgy Squ yeah. yeah they're mobile would they move they're, around a little bit as you're pushing uh, on them and you feel them kind of shifting or not like a ganglion would yeah. no. but you'll feel like you can move it but it's, yeah if it's soft and squidgy and it's it's more in the medial arch really okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, it, than it is back at the heel so yeah it's, yeah it's soft and squidgy and in the medial arch and it feels like it's part of the medial band it's, it may well be a fibroma and then you can get those referred on for sure yeah okay fantastic well we've got some people commenting on the slump test seem to be popular and um, we had a few comments here um i'll come back to becky's fantastic question it's becky question time um leslie campbell says here um nope slump um single leg raise wouldn't be a go for me with heel pain to be honest but will do from now on good on leslie <laughs> Uh, Nikki Mansfield said, haven't done a slump test for a while. Admittedly, wouldn't have really thought to do one for plantar fasciitis presentation. So thanks for pointing it out. There we go. Right. Um, so time goes so quickly, especially with people like yourselves here. I've got a question here from Catherine. Or Catherine mentions Catherine Reimer says, I've had clients before with Morton's neuroma. I've had something similar, which is uncomfortable. Um, so on yeah. that, just to jump in, sorry, Matt, you know the way people describe Morton's neuroma pain? So you often say to them, what does it feel like? And they'll say, 
they'll say sharp they'll say tingly they'll say mm. radiating they'll sometimes say it feels like my socks bunched up or it feels like there's a pebble in my shoe or you know basically these kind of descriptions are you know on are kind of nervy type of descriptions mm. they're they're mm. weird and they're they're nervy um so anyone that's coming in with heel pain but they're saying those kind of words then if you're not slumping or, or straight leg grazing already then that should go to 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 kind of further strengthen your um, hypothesis in that regard yeah fantastic becky carroll going back to becky here says maybe jump into conclusions here but i've noticed a link between patients taking statins and heel pain Have you come across this link before so this is a wonderful question or comment for for a couple of reasons um the first thing to say is i i don't know of this link unless i don't know speak jump in if you do maddie if you know different obviously there, there have been links to statins and tendinopathies before in the same way that they have the quinolone antibiotics um but i think what the deeper layer here is that if someone's taking statins then what we're now talking about and we're going back to the history taking again is the, the questions that we should be asking during a history taking the wider questions about their general health um their their the presence of any potential systemic or metabolic conditions because as we know like heel pain is a common presentation in quite a lot of arthropathies so i think the last thing i read was was 10% of people with psoriatic arthritis report a manifestation of heel pain. Mm -hmm. So uh, although I feel like I'm, I've possibly taken Becky's question and molded it into something else, another thing we should probably say is, because it doesn't take too long, when we're, when we're taking our history taking, we're asking about history of back pain and what the pain feels like. It doesn't take a few minutes to say, how's your general health? What medication are you on? That gives you a bit of an idea of what's going on systemically, inflammatory, metabolically. And then you can ask about family history which I think is important, family history of, of, of arthropathy and things like that. But also then our, our inflammatory flag questions, which would be, do you have any regular gastrointestinal disturbance? Do you have any regular eye irritability or irritation? Do you suffer with psoriasis? Um, you've probably gone through this on a previous episode with Jack, I'm sure, um, the, the, the rheumatological flags, the, the, the inflammatory screening questions. Because if someone comes in with heel pain and you get a few yeses to those questions, do not exclude that this is... This may not be plantar fascia pain. This may be a another manifestation of a more systemic metabolic state, if that makes sense. So I think if someone's on statins, it, it would maybe set, set off your senses that, that if you haven't asked those questions already, oh, I better go back and ask some of those questions um, to get a bit of a wider picture. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I remember Dr. Emma Cowley saying last week, like, don't forget that runners get systemic diseases as well. You know, so sometimes yeah. I think the danger is, you know, someone is training loads, they're trail running, you know, that they're that sort of personality. So you automatically presume that it's some degenerative kind of thing, which yeah. they've been accumulating over the years and you forget about something which could well, be like this and also if they if a, if a if a runner if a if a runner came if a male in his mid-40s came in and said i've got pain in both my achilles and both my plantar fascia and you said okay talk me through what your volume looks like and mm. he says i sit i'm an accountant so i sit down all day but i run 90 kilometers a week mm. it, it's not unreasonable for you to com just completely go well of course you, you know we've got overload this is a classic load capacity mechanical overload problem um but actually male in his mid-40s with with pain in more than three sites mm. immediately go to those inflammatory flag questions even if they're a runner i mean if they weren't a runner if someone came in in their mid-40s and said both my achilles tendons hurt both my heels hurt what do you do exercise wise i don't do anything you'd be going okay well 
do we need to ask for a rheumatological opinion or take some blood? Well, whether they're a runner or not, like, they're still a man in their mid-40s, you mm. know, who metabolically we know they can, things like ankylosing spondylitis, they can manifest later in life. You know, so you ask about the, the flag, but you also ask the family history is key there as well. Yeah. We and I think as well, it's like um, taking what the patient says with a pinch of salt, because that runner Ian's just mentioned could have mentioned about his increase in running load and, and automatically I think maybe you start going down that train of thought but actually if if you ha if we think about the history further and we ask those questions and then we make our own decision up I think that's a, a much a much better way of kind of managing the um the further tests and questions thereafter whereas sometimes I think they come in and say oh I've got I've got this I've been mm -hmm. told I've got this you know from Google or whatever and then you just want to make your own clinical test and clinical mind up about um what you're dealing with very interesting. Oh, it feels like we're just getting warmed up now. Feels like um, this is where, yeah, I'm trying to, have to turn this into 90 minutes. Now, that's fantastic. I mean, we are at 9.02, people. Thanks for those questions coming in. Um, before we do go, though, because I feel there might be one more that you're burning to say. Do you think we've mentioned a few now? Is there anything else in your experience where we should keep an open eye? Or Well, I, I don't know what Mandy's experience is. I'd be interested to hear, but a, a lot of referrals that end up with us um may well come from other health professionals that don't particularly um enjoy or like feet i don't think that's an unfair thing to say they're not for everyone which is fine um i, I certainly know that we'll get some people come from gps and, and and the gp didn't even ask the person to take their shoe off as soon as they heard they had foot pain they said go and see the podiatrist it's probably plantar fasciitis um now the reality is if someone goes to a gp and says i've got pain in my heel and they say, oh, it's probably plantar fasciitis, go to the podiatrist. By the time they've then, between then and when they see us, they've gone online and Googled plantar fasciitis. And now the ball, you know, the the the, the, the snowball is gathering size and, and, you know, the avalanche is about to happen. And actually, I've seen people come in and, and obviously when we say heel pain, it could be posterior heel pain. It could be uh, an insertion or Achilles problem. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be, you know, I've seen... Think, you know, to, to, to think of the last five things that came into my clinic that, that came in as a plant, I think I've got plantar fasciitis opening statement from the patient or I've been told I have plantar fasciitis. I've seen Achilles tendinopathy, posterior ankle impingements, tibialis posterior tendinopathy, uh, subtalar joint synovitis. I mean, because all of these give you pain in that region. And if the first person you see just sows the seed that it's the plantar fascia, that's that's the road you're off on. And, and um, so, you know, this comes under... I, when I said when we talk about sort of neural and calc stress, they are people that come in with with symptoms and the and the rheumatological. They are symptoms that you know could very well manifest a bit like plantar fascia. But a lot of things that get labelled plantar fascia, when you actually speak to them properly and poke and prod and assess them, it looks nothing like plantar fascia. It's it's just pain somewhere in the rear foot. I don't know if you, if you if you get similar, Maddie. Yeah, absolutely. And it's rarely the plantar fascia that's actually stressed, but as soon as you start doing further tests and questioning and getting people moving and asking when, when they get their pain and doing single leg exercises and balance work, the amount that you can get from that, I think, um, can really change. So, um, yeah, I would say it's, it's rarely just fascia related and i think that's what this whole kind of mentioned from the start really isn't it is, is not often plantar fasciitis it's probably not anything might not be plantar fascia related but just having that open mind about what other, mm. what other not forgetting the, not forgetting the fat pad as well we haven't mentioned the calcaneal yeah. fat pad we should probably mention that because that that can be really miserable uh when yeah. that gets you know fat 
pads are so highly innovated and and um when they get inflamed and it's underneath the heel um you know it, it's it's a bother every single mm-hmm. day and, and the irony is these are the people who um, may well complain more of walking than running depending on their running foot strike pattern and technique but um one, one test we often do for people and it's not necessarily diagnostic it's more um more just for, for sort of uh, more information gathering really uh, we will often say to people you know or we'll get them on our treadmill in our clinic barefoot and we'll start walking them and we'll say think about when it hurts during your gait cycle so mm-hmm. and even 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 say now 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 and what you'll find is that some uh, one group you know there'll be a subset of people that will at heel strike they'll every single heel strike they'll say now 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 and there'll be another set that it will be more sort of sort of late mid stance propulsion as they're pushing off so what what we have rightly or wrongly sort of hypothesized is well if if you hurt more at heel strike then it tells us that compressive forces are more problematic for you or provocative for you um but if your heel's off the floor if you're getting pain back at the heel but when you're at propulsion at toe off then it suggests that it may well be more tensile forces that are provocative and these are both you know plantar heel pains that you may treat a bit differently so when you speak to your friends the people at the running club and some people say oh i bought those silicone heel pads from amazon and they were just magic high chance if you did really well with those you were probably the person that was complaining of compressive provocation because if you have got tensile provocation when your heels off the floor the pad the pad can't help you whereas the people that say i bought a pair of insoles off of amazon or i taped up my, I, I you know the, the you know the physio taped my foot up and that really helped then it may well be you know more of a tensile provocation we do treat we do treat those things kind of differently so there's another i guess tool that people are going to add to their questioning when they've asked about night pain and you know rheumatological flags and they've slump tested them and calcaneal squeeze test them also sort of say when does it hurt them you've told me where it hurts but when does it hurt and i don't just mean when in in the day i mean when in the gait cycle because actually that may 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 make you think okay this person probably probably their sensitivity will settle down if they just get some cushioning under that heel or maybe they might need a bit more excellent really good yeah one of the best tests is just um do do something that causes you pain. It's not one of the best tests in the book, isn't it? Get them to do it. Sadist that we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we can sit back. And, and then I guess, and then, and then I guess it's just managing how it changes. So if you're seeing them every week and you tell them to go and change your trainers, and they come back and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's made a massive difference," then it's still it's still management because it's probably not gone in that week, and it's still a case of managing it. And often it's actually that cushion didn't make a difference, or that insole I bought on Amazon didn't make a difference. Now what? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's loads of little you know tricks and tips that we can all try and taping and like Ian said change of footwear and insole arch support cushion gel whatever but I think there's there's lots of and and speaking to maybe a local podiatrist if, if you want a more uh more of a device that might be appropriate from from a kind of mechanical insole or fossic you know type type input but um just I think continue that communication and as uh, Ian I, so I don't know if you're the same but like often if, if I'm not we're not sure what it is and we're going down a diagnosis and we are trying to change that loading pattern or change the forces that are coming from the ground up oh, my laptop. Um, the likes of taping and footwear would often be my first line intervention anyway and if a patient's already tried that because the therapist has recommended it and then they come to see, see the likes of us having tried x y and z it makes our management plan that next step on from yeah. any sort of further tests or i think that's totally not, not only is that totally reasonable it's in keeping with um 
the best practice guide that was published yeah. in, in the BJSM um, just last year, um, which for those that aren't familiar, and I'll really quickly summarise it because I know we're short on time, but it was it was a huge piece of work that, that pulled together a systematic review. So essentially all of the previous science that had told us what how what has been what works and what doesn't work for heel pain um that was one arm of it the second arm was uh interviews with world leading experts who treat pain what do you think what what are you seeing in your clinics what works best in your experience in your hands but then the third arm which is really important and is often left out of medicine was the the patient experience as well so that the people that actually suffer what do you think helps or doesn't help what would you like more of or less of and then this work sort of tried to pull all of this, the, the, the science, the experts and the sufferers, pull it all together, synthesize it and spit out a, a bit of a, not not a recipe, but I know that's what we all want, but a bit of a guide is to say this is a very reasonable way to treat heel pain in a sort of staged process. And what came out of that is exactly what you say, Maddie, um, early first line interventions of tape, stretching and education which is pretty much what we've talked education would encompass footwear it would encompass load management etc uh, so taping stretching and education um were the the first line strategies um and again once this is once you think this is you know you've excluded all the sinister of course um, that that obviously goes without saying and then the next things after that were the things that you'd refer on for and the two rather strong things that emerged were shockwave therapy and foot orthoses which obviously um depending on whether you've got access to those or you're you're happy prescribing them you may need a a referral network to do those but i think everyone can tape stretch and educate everyone can exclude the the red flags exclude the mm -hmm. sinister tape stretch educate and then you've got a really good working sort of pathway to sort of not just adhere to but but know that you're being evidence informed as well excellent that's open wow. access that paper as well so i can Brilliant. you know we'll put a link to that in the yeah. um, show notes mm. and that'd be very interesting reading okay right well look um as as nikki says so eloquently an hour is never enough it's so true <laughs> nikki in so many aspects of life um becky mm -hmm. carroll um thanks for joining us people have joined us live becky carroll says thanks maddie and matt fab chat um leslie campbell says very good chat lots to go and utilize thanks all brilliant um huge thanks if you do join us live i know it's it's such um it's so nice to have people joining us live um, giving up your time but also it's so nice to have people of your caliber joining us and um, there's so much in there it's again one of those ones i want to listen to so thank you um maddie and ian for joining us it feels like there needs to be a part two at some point because we really were just getting warmed up there's so much but then there's no surprise is it like they said last week the foot is a complex part of the body they're taking great pride yeah. in that it and is, it's it is. And, and other therapists do fear it. And it's probably right to have a little bit of that. Maybe fear is the wrong word, but just to know when to refer out because it is complicated and complex. And the more you generalize, the more probably you're missing stuff. So well, I always say it's like the sea. Don't fear it. Just just respect it and know that you don't fully understand it. That's that's a reasonable uh, way to approach the human foot, I think. Oh, it's beautiful. What I'm going to do for both of <laughs> is I'm going to cut there and just have the waves going. <laughs> and then coming back again. I'm going to do an edit of that. That's amazing. That's so beautiful. Right. Okay, guys. Um, we have come to the end. Just before I forget, um, a little bit of housekeeping. Dun dun dun. COVID oh, cases rising. We have to do it. It's happening. It's true. Uh, both in therapists. I know therapists. We know patients as well. It is happening. Cases are on the increase. Doesn't mean immediately we're all going back to masks and getting worried and stocking up on whatever it was pasta and toilet paper but it means that as um healthcare professionals you do need to be checking that your 
risk assessments are up to date and you are thinking about um, risks that you're posing by seeing patients. Um, if you're, especially if you're an STA member and you've got any questions, then contact your local STA rep or as always, just email admin at the sta.co.uk if you're not quite sure what you should be doing. Um, but yeah, definitely people are, there's definitely a big wave happening again. So your duty to look after yourself and the people who are coming to your clinic. Don't want to end on that note. It's a bit of a downer. Sorry about that. But um, uh, we will be back next week at Tuesday at eight o'clock. Um, we're going to have James Earls with us talking about the evolution of the foot, which Emma started. I mean, Emma, you've just spent some time, haven't you, with Emma, Ian? I could spend so much more time with Emma. She's amazing. She started going into, well, apparently it's not as clear cut that hominids came down from the trees now. It's more a case that they started showing. It's like, wow, just let's just talk about this. It's brilliant. But it's a fascinating area. We'll be doing that next week with James Earls, who a lot of you um, have got a lot of time and affection for. He's going to be coming and talking about that and the evolution of the foot, which is going to be great. Um, but I think that's it for now. So once again, thanks to Maddie. Thank you for coming along. Thank you very much. And thank you. Brilliant. Thanks for joining us. And thank you to, to you, Ian. Pleasure. And, thanks for having me. Uh, love to spend time with you guys. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone who's joined us. And if you listen to the podcast, hope you enjoy it. Leave a rating and a review. If you do want to join us live, then it's eight o'clock on Tuesdays on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. That's it. Take care, people. And we'll see you soon. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.